it's a beautiful gift it's given me. It's given me this fire to live every day in this awe and this, wow, what can I accomplish today? Or what can I experience today? Or even just in the stillness, I'm okay. I could literally sit and I could stare at my plants all day or look at a bird or watch the trees and and watch a sunset and say, wow, thank you, God, for having me enjoy another sunset. And I'll honor my sister and my dad and those who have passed in that and say, wow, I know that they're rising with the sun and setting with it. Welcome to the Dairy to Move podcast. I am your host, Colleen Wetmore. Each week, I will give you a guest or a thought that will help you become aligned with your soul and your life purpose. We will have conversations about raw and real topics with inspiring and motivational individuals. So let's get deep, and I dare you to move into who you were meant to be. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Dairy to Move podcast. I'm your host, Colleen. So another week, another day, another whatever. I don't even know. Um, yeah, I don't really have much updating because I've literally been just binge watching Homeland <laughs> for like weeks. Um, I'm literally on season seven and I started with season one only two weeks ago. So, you know. That's how that goes. Um, Actually, on Easter, my family Skyped. I think there was about eight or nine of us. It was really funny. My cousin was mentioning how uh, there was a Saturday Night Live skit the night before about doing Zoom calls or meetings. And she, we just cut her and I just kept laughing going, this could totally be a skit right now. Because it's just hilarious. Like, my dad was doing weird stuff, like zooming in on himself, snap being pictures we were on Skype and uh, I don't know walking around and some of my aunts were like wait how do you do this thing why do I only see four people and I like it was funny it was a good time I loved it I miss my family though I miss hugging them I miss my grandparents a lot um I'm also trying not to feel guilty about the fact that I've been binge-watching Homeland for two to three weeks now. Because everybody's like, oh, you need to start that book you wanted to start. You need to create. You need to start that business you wanted to start or whatever. And I'm like, no. I just need to be. I have been told so many times by my spiritual guides to just be and not stress about my future and what career I'm going to have, how my practicality of making more money is going to look like. Like, so I am just being, and I'm trying not to feel guilty about that. So, I mean, that's basically my life right now. I still do self-help stuff. I still do Lacey Phillips maybe every other day or every day. I've opened my Akashic Records, which I actually do want to talk about at some point. It's hard because I'm just trying to like keep releasing episodes of recordings that I've done. I'm still on November of last year. So I feel bad and I probably shouldn't feel bad because I know some people don't care that their episode's not released yet and some people do. So I don't know. 
But I, te- I went into my own Akashic Records, and it was magical. And I will talk about that. I also have, like, a tarot card, an oracle card journal that I've been keeping since probably February. So I want to have an episode about that because it's been a journey. Um, yeah, that's that's basically my life. I'm reading The Universe Has Your Back from Gabby Bernstein. It's so good. I love it. I think I'm halfway through it already and I just started it. It's a, It's an easy read, but... Yeah, that's basically my life and working for still 40 hours a week. But today we have on Adit Chuchangi. I'm totally butchering that. But she is a licensed psychotherapist, and this episode is literally all about grief. Um, yeah, it's just basically all about grief, but it's so beautiful talk about her journey she has dealt with death a lot in her life so we we do talk about some steps about how to get out of pain and grief but a lot of it's the spiritual side and you know I asked her why do people think or why do you think people get stuck and lost and can't get out of it and can get they get their life back after their loved one has passed Um, and I asked these questions because of what my family dealt with and what I know what some of my family members are doing and they're kind of still sitting in the grief and I feel really bad and I can't help them so these were questions that I asked but it's a really good episode it's not depressing it's it's really not it's a really great beautiful episode she just has so much wisdom and so much courage and bravery about what she went through and yeah, she shares her story really elegantly and beautifully. So I know you will enjoy this. And I am sending you all love and healing through this difficult time of COVID-19. And hopefully we can get through this faster. And hopefully we can all go back to our new normal, a new normal, because it's definitely not going to be the way it was before, but a new normal relatively soon, at least, you know, be able to see our loved ones and hug them and love them and everything. Yes, enjoy. So yeah, well, thank you for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I don't, I really don't know how you're doing this so early in the morning, but power <laughs> to you. I, 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 and, and you're trying to start waking up at what, 5 a.m. you said? Yes. Yes. I'm most productive with the rest of my day. If I'm an early bird, it's just, I'm not wired that way naturally. So I'm trying to reverse engineer what God created in me. Yeah. (laughs) You feel like you're a night owl. I am. I'm, I'm typically someone who can just stay up later and do more work then and wake up later in the morning. But I had a time period in my life where I did wake up early and I actually got a lot more done and it was a lot more effective and efficient and hmm. felt much more energized. So I'm working my way back to that. <laughs> well, I wish you luck <laughs> in that. At a time. Yeah. <laughs> I hate, I wake up at six to go to work and I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> but I think it's more cause it's getting colder here. So I'm just like, I don't want to get out of my nice warm yeah. bed, but, um, so yeah. 
So I know a little bit about you. So um, you are a um, psychotherapist in San Francisco. So I would just love it if you could just share your journey and how you, I guess, picked your career or how it picked you. So you yeah. want to share a little bit about that? Great question. <laughs> yeah, I've um, been a therapist and just been in mental health for the last 13 years since I was 20. 22 officially just started to work with teens um, in the community and then went on to get my master's and so now I'm 36 and so it's been a little bit that I've been doing the work um, in the communities and with working with people. I would say before that I I think it picked me. I think you know I'm very much a spiritual faithful person so Mm -hmm. I know that you know there was always this design and created in me to be with people and to, you know, help is not really kind of, it's, it's about, there was this desire to connect always, mm-hmm. whether it was with people, animals, I was just so young and I loved to just know either someone's story or to just Mm -hmm. you know like a people watcher or I would find Mm -hmm. myself um just kind of the social butterfly would just like want to talk to everybody and like Mm -hmm. know their name and like what's their story or you know I would go to farms with my dad as a little girl and I would just spend the whole day there just hanging out with the animals and just like watching how they move. And I always was curious about everything. I just kind of was always wondering like, Oh, why do people do the things they do? Um, so there was always this curiosity about now what I know now is like the psychology, the brain, Mm -hmm. human behavior. And I'm also still fascinated about how, you know, there's just beings fascinated by plants now and animals just so this, this spiritual kind of connection, how we're all, connected um Mm -hmm. so that was always there um it just kind of got louder and more clear as I grew up and it was very natural that I went in and got uh, my bachelor's in psychology and then began my experience just really beginning to work with people and being paid for it and so that felt like oh this can be a job to work with people in and love it and also get paid and make a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got my degree and then I was wanting to, at that time I was working with youth who were involved. They came from homes that um, there was a lot of poverty and um, they were involved in gangs. And so we, the, the organization I worked for was uh, an after-school program where we try to channel some of that um, creativity into art or spoken word or poetry or music. And we had so much fun with the youth. They're just, uh, they brought me to life, the side of me that I never really even knew. And so I wanted to figure out how do I help them more? Um, How can I be more active and kind of some of them were on probation. And so I had to write a letter to the court um, or to their probation officer to talk about how much they're meeting their goals and their progress and how, you know, they, how I've experienced this other side of them other than, you know, kind of what they are viewed as in the court system. So Mm -hmm. to be able to have a, um, 
kind of a hand in, in creating their narrative with them, a new narrative that they wanted um, that, that just really stood out for me as something I want to do more of. And then I talked to a professor and he told me about social work and about getting, I could get a degree in social work and help more people or, or you mm-hmm. know, have it be very versatile. And, and so long story short, that really opened up my eyes and I went on to uh, University of Southern California and got my master's in social work and that was kind of the start of everything where I just I worked with so many different populations of people and heard so many different stories and all along the way I just was so humbled um and I learned so much about myself along the way and just how the human spirit is just so strong and how people just are naturally wired to want to connect with each other, even in their darkest moments that they would even kind of come together in communion, either during like a a group, uh, like a therapy group that we were running. um, Mm -hmm. And I, or in therapy with me. And so I just, I just wanted more of that. Um, And that's just been kind of what I've been doing since. And just Mm -hmm. kind of, I'm very much a, a storyteller myself. So I love mm-hmm. to hear other people's story and I'm, I just naturally ask like curious questions to know more about them. Um, mm-hmm. And the psychology of it, it, it just kind of helps now navigate the times that people are struggling in that time of their life and they're, and they're part of their story and maybe a chapter and any, you know, kind of professional help in that time period. Mm-hmm. And now I understand it in a much more deeper sense um, as I've also been on the other side of the couch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the same as you with uh, the curiosity. I always feel like when I get to know people, I always ask them really deep questions. I'm like, I probably shouldn't ask them this right now. (laughs) I'm just meeting them, but that's okay. So that's why I like podcasting because I'm just meeting you, but I get to ask you deep questions. (laughs) Yeah. You're in, you're in alignment. That's exactly what's meant for you. Um, so I kind of want to start talking about working with the kids because do you think that there's a misunderstanding of like kids and basically just kids that get into trouble and they just think, oh, they're just bad kids, but really kids are just going through a lot more shit than we realize. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think that kids are so smart. They're so naturally just intuitive and they just, um, you know, they're misguided more than anything, um, Mm. rather than them being the bad kids. It's really the adults, um, and all the adults, you know, not only the, the family and the parents at home are responsible for them, but you know, kids spend a majority of their time at school. So all the adults at school, matter um and make a can make a difference also in seeing them and how they view them and what narratives they create about them and then are told to them right that the kids are gonna naturally play that narrative out so I think that they are just brilliant and that they can mold and change and and you know, really want to, you know, they want to be helpful. They want to be seen. And so if we can see them and we can guide them and channel some of that 
creativity because a, a lot of kids are just you know so creative especially now with technology there <laughs> yeah um, there's so many advances that their generation I don't know how kids are surviving in high school now it's just it's, especially with social media but mm. um I think that the that yeah inherently they are so smart and so sweet and are wired to connect and they want to love and they want to be helpful. Um, but if at somewhere along their life, they've received a narrative that they are not any of those things, well, they're going to be, they become whatever we're telling them they are. And so that's not their fault. Um, it's when they become adults and they, you know, at that point, that's where therapy, a lot of people I see are, you know, products of having those narratives, like you're not enough or you're bad. Um, and they're coming in for cognitive behavioral therapy and rewiring those messages or narrative therapy and, and recreating the new narrative and unlearning the things that they were told by society or their family or, the teachers or the adults in their life. And so they're like, wow, you know, and working through that emotionally is, is really tough. But mm-hmm. inherently kids are amazing. They're, they're, they're my favorite. Adults are <laughs> more yeah. challenging than, than kids. Adults are. Yeah. They're cause <laughs> we're stubborn. Right. And it's not unless we want to change, do we really change? Um, kids are, are a little bit more impressionable. Hmm. It's interesting. You always hear like horror stories of kids who are angry and frustrated with something that are just difficult to deal with. So that is interesting that you say that. Mm-hmm. And if, if you're not seeing why, like what's driving the behavior and underneath it, then you're always just going to see the behavior and you're speaking to that. If you're able to see, well, this kid is maybe acting out as angry and you know, anger is a defense mechanism. It's, it's, it's a bodyguard for sadness, right? So if you're able to mm-hmm. peel back the anger and say, wow, this kid is really hurt and in pain and suffering, and it's a response to that, then if you're able to speak to them in a way and see them, you know, in a way that they can be held um, and not, not see them for the behavior, then that, that changes the relationship. It can make a difference. And um, that, that's been always my, I think, strength with building relationships with the youth that I was, I never, you know, really cared what was written about them on paper. I wanted to actually get to know them in person and ask them the, the questions to get to know them. And, and we, you know, I, I think I was just, I really wanted to, I wanted to really be in their life. I, you know, and kids can sense if you care and how much you care. Um, and so that, that can make or break how mm-hmm. your relationship is with them. So I know, I know you have experienced a lot of um, deaths in your life. And I know one started, passed away at a young age. Would you mind just sharing your journey with that a little bit? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I, for me, um, I always, you know, been really close to my family. So, uh, you know, looking back now, I always was worried or scared that if anybody in my family passed away, I wouldn't survive. I wouldn't be able to even make it. Um, I wouldn't even know how to deal with it. And I don't know why I even thought about death. At how old were you when you thought about that? Um, I was probably uh, kind of always, uh, and I think just, just always in your Just head. kind of like, yeah, in my teens. I don't know an exact age, but like always kind of in my teen period. I had a cousin who was shot um, at nine years old um, in a drive-by frequent, uh, or um, sadly in a freak uh, just wrong place at the wrong time. He was just in the car. And, um, and so, you know, I, we were in junior high. So I, I, that was my first memory of like death. And so I think ever since then, it's always just been on my mind, like, Oh wow. Someone I love cannot be here anymore. What? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know that I could handle another person I love ever dying. So, yeah. I would say like 12 and on and like that was my first time with death. And so ever since then, it's just, it's just been a constant thing on my mind. And yeah. So in fast forward, I mean, um, death just ended up being a, a theme in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I imagine, you know, it's not only my story, but so many people could probably relate to losing a loved one that they never imagined um, and the difficulties that come with that. Mm-hmm. But my aunt passed away, um, in 2008, um, mm-hmm. from cancer. And it was a sudden, like within three months of diagnosis to her last breath. And I was with her as she transitioned, um, out of this world and took her last breath. And that was really tough. And that was kind of my first time ever really seeing someone just pass. Um, so I struggled with that for a while. And I was in my graduate program at that time and was working through a lot of my grief. And it wasn't until a few years later that my own sister actually was diagnosed with cancer, breast cancer. And she was young. She was about 33 when she was diagnosed. Uh, so that was, that was a horrifying time. And she didn't survive and passed away July 4th, 2014. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the start of my own experience of depression and anxiety and I didn't know it at the time even though I was in mental health I think there was this block and this um uh the idea that oh if I'm a helping professional then I should I should I shouldn't I shouldn't be able to ask for help I should be able to figure it out on my own um which is a horrible and unhealthy narrative because we're all human um and we should all ask for help when you know, we need it. But that was my journey. And I think that was, it was what needed to happen to birth kind of this new awakening for myself. And, you know, I needed to go through that immense dark place and really understand now, um, 
how hard and difficult it is to be in that state of mind. And I can sit better with other people and their pain mm-hmm. because of it. Um, I mean, there were days where I just, I just, the pain was so horrifying. I mean, think about, I thought about suicide and just, um, just wanting the pain to end. I didn't want to necessarily, I didn't want to die. It was just more, you know, my best friend's father shared with her that she just wants the pain to end. So it's not that she wants life to end. It was just, it was so many back-to-back losses because death has a ripple out effect when one person dies in the family. And and when you're close knit for us, we were, you know, birthdays and holidays and Mm -hmm. between days, like everyday phone calls. Like it was just when someone is so present in your daily life and they're gone, it creates uh, grief for everybody and it changes the entire family dynamic and then everyone's mourning their own way. And if you haven't built, which most families haven't, um, if you're not talking about it openly and because you're, it's hard to talk about it, then it creates, um, it, it, it just changes everything. You know, so birthdays become harder to be around. That person's always missing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that time for me, you know, when my sister passed and I was there for her last breath too, was she had to go into hospice and I just laid by her bedside for those three days straight and just watched her, um, watched her pass away. And that is imprinted in my brain in a way that is will forever be there. And if I think about it too much, which I used to, um, mm. it becomes crippling. Um, it's a crippling image. It's a crippling experience. And it, and it did, it had four years of um, after effect when I, after she passed and I just went into, I mean, I lived my life. I was still working, you know, I was in a pretty high position I was an assistant you know I was a a manager and then an assistant director to a director um, of a foster care program to getting married planning my wedding so I was doing things post Mm -hmm. her loss Um, when I look back it's just kind of like it just feels like I was in um, a robot (laughs) it was just like kind of going through the motions and I know there was moments I for sure was like happy and the day of my wedding, I, I remember vividly, and that was a fun time, but there wasn't this uh, way that I saw my life that was colorful. Like, it had just lost a lot of color, and it was a struggle each day to try to find meaning and hope and um, and faith. And so all of those things were gone for four years until mm-hmm. I just decided enough was enough, and I, and I did. I was clinically depressed, and I um, began to see a therapist and I, um, and I, and that kind of was my decision at that point to start healing, um, and start working. I was very angry. Um, I didn't know why the anger was there, but it would come out in these other ways unrelated to Mm -hmm. loss. Uh, it would be like, we're, you know, my husband and I are juicing, um, (laughs) and we're, you know, juice, the juice is like the juice machine is not taking to the carrier <laughs> it was getting stuck and I just remember saying I, was, I just started I was so angry and I was like f the juice I don't even want it anymore 
part and he's like well no it's okay like we'll do the this and I was like no and it was just like it was such a dramatic scene Mm -hmm. for juicing (laughs) and so that's how anger sneaks and grief actually uh, sneaks up that irritability uh, is a sign of depression and and I was just irritable all the time everything would annoy me I was kind of on edge um and I wasn't present or focused. People would talk to me. Um, and I was there, but I wasn't there. Um, you know, sometimes when people would talk about the day that they had and they were stuck in traffic and, and how much that (laughs) was a damper on their day, or, Mm -hmm. um, I would think to myself, like, really, that, that's, that's your problem. Um, Mm -hmm. like I would just get ear, I would get more angry and annoyed um (laughs) and so people's I couldn't be present with some things that people were struggling with and I and I would in my mind and that's not that's not who I wanted to be that's not who I am but that's who I was um for a while and that's okay too uh but there was conversations I just couldn't be present for if any if people were complaining about anything less than, um, someone that they lost. Like I just couldn't resonate. I couldn't connect with their story. It wasn't uh, meaningful for me to engage in that conversation. So I'd find myself less present with them, um, less empathetic. Um, and so those are all signs that there's something there to work through for -hmm. yourself. And that was ongoing for me for a while. And then this fear of loss again. So I'd always be wondering, um, who's next? You know, that's why I talked to my therapist. I want, you know, I'm just constantly on edge about who's next. Cause it was, you know, even with my sisters, uh, and my aunt passing, there was some in between, uh, deaths also of extended family members, aunts, uncles, um, cousins and eight year old cousin. Like it was just pervasive. Um, so it was natural that I would kind of go into that state of like, well, who's next? And, freak out and have anxiety around it. And yeah, I would self-sabotage, um, my relationship and try to start fights with my, 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 poor, my, you know, we worked through it, but my husband, mm-hmm. um, cause I was, it came out one day. I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm fearful that I'm going to lose you. So I'm trying to push you away before that happens. So I don't have to deal. Cause I don't, I couldn't even imagine that. And so I had to go to therapy and work all that stuff out. And we talked about kids and I'm like, I'm not having kids. I'm not birthing kids. Cause then what if that happened to my mom? She lost her child. I can't even bear to bury my own child. So it's like a con, like in every decision, it was, it was ruled and governed by loss. Um, and it wasn't a healthy way to live. It wasn't, um, I wasn't alive. I wasn't really fully present. Um, I was in my trauma, um, but I couldn't talk about it. I couldn't give it language. And, and so it would just, just play out in these ways with people that were closest to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then until I seek my own help, that's when it really began to change and, and evolve and transform to where I am today. Mm-hmm. And where are you today? Um, you know, I didn't mention, but my father passed away as I was also working on um, 
recovering from my sister's loss, I decided to, uh, a friend of mine inspired me to get on a a 12 week transformation journey and it was self-guided. Um, there was no rules. There was no, it was just about kind of going inward and just allowing this time to be really sacred and not be distracted from whatever needed to come up. And I really honored that. And I really kind of, I, I would numb before. And so I, you know, would watch Netflix all day and I would just not want to re, you know, I just do anything not to just think about my trauma or the way I felt mm-hmm. um, and change it or watch something and just want to laugh. And um, so that 12 weeks was when I really dug deep and that's, what's birthed this transformation. Um, and along the way, um, five weeks in my father passed away unexpectedly. And I don't think I would have been able to handle that phone call had I not even taken that, the the five weeks to really work on myself. Um, it was intensive. Like I, I just decided, um, this is kind of why my 5am is important. (laughs) And I'm, I'm actually, I, I do better waking up early because that was what I did. I, I, for 12 weeks. Um, and the 12 weeks was in Bali? Not the entire. That uh, part of it was in Bali. Okay. Oh, so you, I, I'll let you share it. <laughs> yeah. Part of it was in Bali. I ended okay. up in the very beginning when I decided to just take the 12 weeks out and put a pause in my uh, life. Not that I wasn't going to work. I was still going to work. I was still doing all the things. um, But I began to expand uh, my thinking um, and going inward. And And so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And that was when I booked a trip to Bali. Probably the first week. um, It started with, uh, I went and got a cupping session on my back. And that kind of released some toxins and moved my blood flow. And that from that point, I just started to wake up at 5 a.m. in the morning and I would meditate um, using apps, uh, using free mm-hmm. apps like Calm or Headspace or some simple habit. And then I would go to the gym and I would do the steam room and then come back and eat really kind of, I would eat very mindfully. And so then like chewing my food, tasting it. Um, and I would eat very light. I really didn't kind of, I, I'm, um, also struggle with like emotional eating, like overeating when I'm depressed. So Mm -hmm. I was also eating for what I just needed not to eat, eat my feelings. Uh, And so that I would read books, I would go to work and then I would come home and I would just pour in, like I was the (laughs) self-help like in the self-help section, guru, like books, podcasts, um, anything, everything, like writing, journaling, like all the things, um, breathing, deep breaths, um, prayer, like it was everything I, I just would maybe, uh, share other people, um, who were struggling to try to do like meditation or, or exercise to improve your mood. So I began to do those things and they made that all the difference. Um, and during that time I got inspired to book a trip to Bali at towards the end of the 12 weeks, which also kind of coincided with my 35th birthday. Mm. And then 
the, the phone call came in. Um, so I'm doing that exact kind of structure. Like I needed some predictability in my day because my life was so unpredictable that at any point I was on edge about a phone call about someone dying that it, it created this disruption in my day and this unknowing. So I, having that contained predictability was actually a rewiring of my nervous system. Like it helped calm it down and it helped to, to just really work on getting into a routine. And that structure was what I needed to really also just be okay um, and not be on edge. And so just having this plan where I'm just going inward mm-hmm. and I, you know, declined a lot of social gatherings and I kind of distanced myself from friends and whatnot. And in a way that, you know, not that I, I would be on the phone all the time with somebody and, and hearing about their day, what they're going through. And this was like, I didn't do that. I was like, I need to be there for myself. Um, I'm not going to pick up the phone or get distracted by the internet. And then when my dad passed, that was what actually got me really, it it put the fire, um, this angry fire that I had, um, it put it out. And his death was this this loving, peaceful, he passed in his sleep. Um, and his funeral was just a, a, so peaceful and so serene and just, uh, very calming. Um, and it just put this other, it birthed this other fire for life. Um, it transformed something inside of me to want to live life and not to be dull and, and to keep going on my journey. And I mourned I, I, and I let myself mourn. I think with my sister, I just, I was like there for everybody else. You know, how's my mom? How's she had a, she has a son. How's he doing? Like it was just a constant distraction. How's everybody else? And, you know, never really took the time to think about how I was feeling. And with my dad, I did. I, I, I at that point, just, I had gone into therapy before my 12 week journey. So I processed my sister's grief come out of therapy, decided to do the, um, the 12 week, uh, self-healing journey. And then by then I was ready to sit with my pain when my dad passed, I was ready to really mm-hmm. honor that space of sad and sit in the sad and not change it and not mask it. And it was just sad. It wasn't anger anymore. Um, again, anger is this, this, this side effect uh, and protector of sadness. So, um, I wasn't angry. I was, I could just be sad. So I did all the things to be sad. (laughs) Um, you know, I cried, I didn't distract from it. I didn't numb it. I didn't, I was in conversation with friends at that point. They all already knew. I'm like, I don't, this is, I want to talk about how sad I am. You know, if someone asked me how I'm doing, I'd be honest and say, I'm actually not doing great, but I'm okay. Not being okay. Um, I didn't need to change how I was feeling or for somebody else's sake, um, that Mm -hmm. if they were going to be there for me, then, then this is me. This is, this is who I am right now. I'm someone who lost her father, who's lost other people. And I am not interested in, you know, small talk and I'm not interested in 
going to a comedy show and I'm not interested in, mm. you know, laughing or distracting. Like I, I want to sit in silence uh, or I want to look at pictures. And if you want to look at their pictures with me and cry with me, great. Um, but that's what I'll be doing. You know, my husband, one morning was on the anniversary, um, recently of, um, my dad's passing, uh, his one year and I woke up and I just, I watched all the videos and pictures I've had of him and cried, just bald. And, and he was like, how, why are you just torturing yourself? What are you doing? Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, if I don't do this, I mean, he's on my mind anyways, right? It's, it's, right. It's, it, he's he's going to be, it's either I acknowledge that it's there and I let myself cry and I'm not afraid of that or I do what I did before and it didn't work and then it's going to come out in other ways. So I've just now adopted this philosophy that it's, I'm not afraid of my feelings. I'm not afraid to be sad. I'm not afraid because I also that births my breakdowns have birthed these breakthroughs. And after I gave myself a good cry, I was able to go actually after a couple hours and sit with a client in session and really hold her pain. And she brought up stuff with her own family. And I was so present. I was able to connect. I was so much more alive in that for her because I'd already done my own work. I'd already done and taken care of what I needed. So I wasn't searching for someone to validate and see my pain because I already had done that for myself. So I'm just so passionate and on fire about like your feelings are your greatest teachers and, and not to be afraid of them. Cause for so long I was afraid of them right. and I, and I knew, and I know um, where that took me for so long. And it, and I, if it, I could give anyone some advice so that they don't have to spend four years numbing their themselves is to just work on it now and, and just dive deep and, and get the help, get the professional help. Cause it, it it's important to, get your life back and live it. Cause it's, it's short. I mean, death is still on my mind. And I, and I think there's this reframe that I have now with it where it's, it's actually, I'm, it's a beautiful gift. It's given me, it's given me um, this fire to live every day in this, what in this awe and this, wow, what can I accomplish today? Or what can I experience today? Or, or even just in the stillness, I'm okay. I could literally sit and I could stare at my plants all day or look at a bird or watch mm-hmm. the trees and, and watch a sunset and say, wow, thank you, God, for having me enjoy another sunset. Um, and I'll honor my sister and my dad and those who have passed in that and say, wow, I know that they're rising and um, with the sun and setting with it. And, and there's ways that the spiritual side that has birthed from it all that I am so grateful for now that they gave me a gift because everyone has an end date. Like that's what we're all guaranteed. Um, and I'm not afraid to talk about it. Instead, it's like, it's comforting to talk about it and say, well, what do I want to do with my life then? what would I want my eulogy to read as? And let me work backwards. So then today I'm, I'm living in that. I'm, I'm becoming who and what I want to be and experience and what I want to leave um, my family or like, like whatever it is I want to leave 
uh, with that that gives me the motivation to do that now. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, It sounds like the universe kind of had your back in a way with that 12 um, week self development program or whatever it was, because it came, it was there for you and you needed it. And if I can only imagine like how differently you would have taken your father's death, if you death, if you didn't go through this 12 week program. Yeah, I absolutely am so grateful. And that, that divine order, that divine timing, I think it it is a spiritual aspect. It kind of gives me this confirmation and this comfort that there's things that are planned already. And, and Mm -hmm. if you listen and pause to hear what you need to do, that you are taken care of, that the universe has your back. God is walking alongside you and is carrying you um, and has better plans than you ever even imagined for yourself. And so Mm -hmm. um, to just listen to, you know, I do think that that was a divine um, intervention, uh, but I listened to it too. We have an active role in that. Like there was, you know, my friend inspiring me and telling me to do it. And, you know, so, so, there's messengers here on earth. There's ways that you're constantly um, receiving what to do and how to be guided and protected. And then it was, if I hadn't listened to her, if I hadn't, you know, I was like, no, I'm not doing it. No, I'm not doing it. And, you know, I don't know where I would, that, that, that could have happened. And so that could have, that's where my power and control is. Um, but I was really getting into alignment because I had gone to therapy at that point and I just really wanted and craved something different for my life and for myself and wanted to come alive and wanted to heal. So I was in a place to receive and I was also able in a, in a place to hear and take Mm -hmm. action on it too. Um, so I look for those moments now because they are, I believe, in divine messaging and timing and um, people, animals, numbers. Uh, I feel like everything is just a spiritual signal. And so I look for those daily guided reminders and I tune into that and then I add it to how it's going to influence my decision for the day. And, and it hasn't steered me wrong. Now I'm doing retreats in Bali. So it's just... So to kind of look at it um, in this, you know, this, this path that was created and, and look back now, it's everything was exactly how it needed to be. And I'm mm-hmm. at peace with that. Um, and I'm motivated to just continue to have more of a life that is enriched in spiritual connection and divine order and, mm-hmm. and feeling you- alive. You, um, didn't you fly to Bali like the day after your father's funeral or something? Yeah. And again, that was another kind of this divine order. Um, when I bought my ticket to Bali, uh, my best friend and I, we had bought our tickets already and my dad was still alive at that time. And, uh, it turned out to be, um, in our culture, you don't, you stay in mourning for 40 days and Mm -hmm. 
um, so he, we had the funeral and then, um, his 40 days. And then it was also my mom's birthday. So it was like, I was here and present for those things. And then the next day was our flight out that Tuesday evening to, um, to Bali. And so, yeah. And it's like, those are the things like I can't explain, right. That's just, Mm -hmm. that's, that's God working. That's universe working. That's my intuition working all kind of co-working together to, uh, birth these, these moments that are meant to be in your life. Mm -hmm. So you chose to get out of that anger and get like, try to get help for your depression and anxiety and not stay in that like stuckness of grief. So why do you think people get stuck in the loss and they just can't get out of it and they don't feel like it's important to get their life back after a loved one has passed? Yeah, I think um, it's different for for different people, just, just depending on, you know, their culture or tradition or where you are in the world or how you were raised or how you taught to think about death um it's going to influence what you decide to do and how you do it um you know and and I will say though a large majority of people do struggle with grief um Mm -hmm. and I think it's just it's it's one of those things that you might overlook as something you need help with um you just kind of it's easy to brush off and say, well, you know, I just got to keep going. And, you know, for some people, the reality is they have to keep going, whether they're, you know, now a single parent and they have to, you know, continue to work and, and they don't have time to stop and think about it. Um, There's so many factors why somebody wouldn't, Mm -hmm. couldn't um, go there. So I think some of it is just, actual means of living like they just they can't um have Mm -hmm. the luxury to go do what I did and go seek therapy and you know it is it is this privilege to go take care of yourself um and I didn't have kids so I was able to really do that um you know some people don't and I think for other people it's the not wanting to really face it um scared of where they where it might take them I think some people are are really afraid of and I've heard this in therapy with my clients that they're afraid of how dark and deep it can get and not being able to come out of it I hear that a lot um so and then some people who just you know don't think anything they know something is wrong but they don't think anything is wrong if that makes sense it's like Mm. um I can do you know I'm fine it's fine it's fine like this kind of this defensive or dismissive um thought with it where it's like I'm fine it's I'll get over it it's and it's not something you you know feelings you don't get over feelings you don't get over the feelings attached to loss um and loss comes in many forms it's a breakup it's um Mm -hmm losing your home it could be losing a job it could be so many different ways that um a divorce I mean there's so many ways that people have experienced lost um Mm -hmm. 
So I think do those you, are some reasons. Yeah. Do you think like the stuckness and the attachment to it is, I hope I'm not sounding like a bitch when I'm saying this, but is more like victim mode. Like why did this happen to me? Regardless of what it is, divorce, job, getting fired, someone dying oh. even. Yeah, I was, I'll speak for myself. I was in that narrative for so many years. I mean, for like years. Um, Cause it would be, you know, one thing after another. And I was just like, why is this happening? Why is this happening? We're cursed. Um, I'm cursed. My life mm-hmm. sucks. Um, everything sucks. And why does so-and-so have a better life? And why does so-and-so have all of their family? And I, why did my family, you know, it was just, um, yeah, there was so much, so much anger. And so there was naturally yeah. this, um, this narrative that played out that saw life happening to me and that I had zero control that I had no hand in any of it. And, and right, you know, rightfully so the, the things like I, I didn't have a hand in someone dying, um, you know, or someone passing away in my life. Like I, I couldn't control those things, but there was, there was other things I could control, but I didn't see it at the time. So it was, it was very much staying stuck in the mm-hmm. narrative that this life sucks. I, my life sucks. Um, everybody sucks. Everything sucks. Like mm-hmm. it's just, um, and so that, that can spiral into then feeling hopeless. And then, so what's, point what's what's the point if I tried it who cares if I have a goal who cares what what does that do and then what and then so everything becomes this um this this place of just numbing and not feeling um or not caring and really that's a sign of like you care so much Mm -hmm. um, you're just afraid to go there and let yourself really yeah work through that narrative yeah it's um it's interesting it's not interesting well I guess it is interesting it's still sad at the same time my family experienced a death three deaths in 2016 my cousin's husband murdered her and their two kids and it's it's it's, it was heartbreaking but it's just interesting to see how everyone is dealing with it differently and a lot of my family is just stuck in the why did this happen to us and why did this happen and it's just I don't know it's like they're all kind of some of them are just stuck there and they just can't get out of it I'm sorry that happened that's that it's yeah it's a hard thing to really, you know, work through. I mean, everyone has such a different story of how mm-hmm. there's someone they love has passed away. And sometimes it is this, it's, it's violent, it's unpredictable, it's unjust. Um, and, you know, it, we had that same narrative with my sister being so young. It's like, why mm-hmm. her? Why did she, why, and my aunt? And it was like, oh, and my uncle died of cancer. It was just, so it's like cancer has been just like, yeah. You know, it's like, why us? Why do we have so many people just like passing away? And so, you know, your family doing the same thing. And I imagine other families kind of being, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's, it makes sense why we stay there. Cause those are horrible, tragic, awful things 
that we are bearing witness to and to and to try to make sense of like why um it's happening it, it, it it's hard to see the light at that you know at that point um because it's I, yeah it's i think trying awful. to make sense of it is just kind of um depleting and just it yeah. drains you like there really is no answer he yeah. was mentally ill and needed a lot of help he didn't get it yeah. and he felt his only way out was killing his whole family and then himself and it's just like yeah it sucks but keep trying to make sense of it it's just gonna kill you exactly gonna kill exactly. you <laughs> yeah it's that spiraling and spinning in the why, like with my, yeah. you know, why is cancer happening? Why is this mm-hmm. happening? Why is mental illness happening in our family? Why, you know, why are we home? Like, it's just so many whys. Um, and to stay, stay in that. Yeah, it, it is. It, that is a side effect that can spiral to then cause depression, mm-hmm. all of these things, um, anger and, not that anger you're just to feel angry um you're just in your feelings you're validated to like feel all of them it's what it's it's the it's the narrative you have of it afterwards and working through the feelings and allowing them to exist and and not and being and coming to a place where you can just make peace with not having the answer Mm -hmm. and really i think that's where spirituality kicks in i think when you know for for us it's it's very uh you know it's faith for us it's like i'm gonna give it to god you know i'm gonna i don't know i don't i don't know and i'm okay with not knowing i just it is what it is and now how do i take this and and serve and and utilize Mm -hmm. this pain in a way that's something bigger than myself and give from this place i think when it's just you if I stay just in my own sphere, then and ask the why, then I'll never get out of it, and it'll just feel horrible. Uh, but when I tra- transfer that and say, okay, I'm going to take this, and I'm going to now go work at, you know, um, somewhere that res- maybe a children's hospital. I'm going to volunteer there. I'm going to take my grief, and I'm going to channel it to give back in a way that's something bigger than myself, and that giving that um connection that channeling of your feelings into something that feels meaningful and purposeful and aligned with giving whatever you went through meaning you know some people who the black lives matter movement i mean people who are just channeling that and saying like well i this is unjust this is um unfair Mm -hmm. this is this feels awful and you know women uh, mothers against drunk drivers who have you know organized and so there's ways that if you take what you have gone through and you create something from it that's outside of yourself that's more than just your own world then you begin to make peace with what happened and then you can let go of needing to know why um, and step into well this is birthing this this way of creating change. Mm -hmm. So are there steps um, that people can do to get out of that pain and that grief? I know you mentioned not on this recording, but learning to ask for help and seeking it, reframing death and then transforming your pain. Do you want to dive into those a little bit? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the first step is you have to want to 
yeah. help. You're going to have to want to something to change. Um, if not, then, then, the, then that's what it is. Like, you know, right. I, I don't know that in those four years, um, I was ready for the help. Um, I'm sure people were trying to help. I'm sure I, mm-hmm. I know, you know, people, I have a very close family and friends who love me so much that I know they're my husband. Like there's just so many times I'm sure someone tried to get me help or told me to, you know, get therapy. Um, but -hmm. I was angry and I was like, Nope, Nope. You don't want to, you don't get it. You don't understand. Nope. Who are you to tell me what to do? Like, it was just constantly not seeing that. And so I wasn't ready. I I really, I wasn't ready. Um, I wasn't wanting to make it, a change. So a, you have to want to change. You have to see whatever your rock bottom is and you, you know, and that looks different for everybody. But once you get there, then that's when your people really begin to ask for help. Um, but if you can start seeing the signs early on and kind of put the pride, the ego aside and put the hurt and say, you know, I I actually need to get help. Um, yeah. When you're getting angry at juicers, (laughs) Yeah, that's the time You're to like, go. Yeah. I'm like, I should probably go do something about this. Now I'm getting mad at your juicer. Exactly. And that's that, you know, really taking accountability and responsibility mm-hmm. that um, it's not, it wasn't, it's how am I now hurting other people because, um, yeah. and people yeah. I love um, because I'm not willing to face some stuff. And so I think the motivation can be different for everybody. Um, but if you can look for those things that, uh, matter to you and, and take responsibility for your energy, take responsibility for your, you know, actions and say, you know, actually I, not only am I hurting myself, but who else am I hurting along the way? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and go get help. Like, I think there's so much stigma around getting help. And, um, also there, there's a, there's a question of access, right? It's also yeah it costs money to go see a therapist that you want to see and so not everyone has that luxury um but but go you know whatever way there's churches right so there's always still a way um if we get stuck in there's no way then nothing's gonna you your creative brain won't work Mm -hmm. um but if you can kind of stop and pause and and really even ask other people hey i actually need help um, where either free resources, um, that where I can just start. Cause even my self-guided healing, um, I wasn't seeing a therapist at that time. I was just, I was literally just using my breath and waking up early. Mm-hmm. I mean, I paid for a gym membership, but you could run outside for mm-hmm. free. Uh, you know, you can go on a, maybe, a, yeah, wherever you're close by to a, maybe a hiking trail or, or something like that. But, mm-hmm. um, there's ways to do it. And I think that's what you were saying earlier is like not to get stuck in like, Oh, I can't do it. Oh, I don't have money. I don't have this. Then, mm-hmm. then the, then that will come to life and you, nothing will change. Um, but yeah, there's church congregations, there's uh, support groups. There's just so many ways um, that you can kind of tap into finding the resources to, to just ask for help and tell a friend that the first person to know I needed help was my husband. So talk to somebody in your life. If you don't have somebody, um, there's tons of hotlines for free to talk to somebody else that is a professional and can guide you. So using really anything and everything, um, 
to, to get outside of yourself to get support. Mm-hmm. And just, it's admitting it. Step one is just admitting you need help. It's mm-hmm. that awareness. You can't change anything you're not aware of and you can't change anything you're not wanting to face. Mm-hmm. So what do you mean by reframing death? To really not be scared of it, that, that, you know, the more we can, um, like in our culture, we didn't talk about planning for your funeral. Like, what would you want? What would be the flowers? What would be the colors? What do you, what music do you want played? Um, you know, um, just this end of life, um, and conversation, and so we, and I say all that to say is so a, a lot of people, including myself and my family, af- afraid of death. And, and, and what I mean by reframing is, is saying like, just coming to face to face with reality, it's going to happen. It's going to happen mm-hmm. in a hundred years. None of us will be here unless they come up with some sort of technology thing that, I'm not afraid to, you know, this reframe of like, let death be the motivator. I think when you've seen it enough times, you're just like, I'm not afraid of it. I, I see it. Mm-hmm. I've seen two people that I love so dearly take their last breath. Um, I, you know, and this is this reframe of how do you, can you take that and reinvest in your life now? Mm-hmm. How can you take that and, and make sure that you live your very best life today and every day? Um, and, and how do you serve and give in a way that's outside of yourself and, and really operate from this place that death is this, it can be the celebration of life, um, that it can have this reverse effect. And, um, for me, that's what death reframe is that it's, it's Mm -hmm. the very catalyst that can be the movement to you experiencing and, um, living and operating in this awe moment of each day that each day is a gift that, you know, none of us are, I have no idea what's happening this afternoon. I have no idea what's happening tomorrow. And so to walk in this mindset, but like I'm here now on this podcast and I'm so grateful for it. And I'm going to have my cup of coffee after this. And I'm so excited and grateful to just mm-hmm. pause and smell it. Like this, this kind of baby, like innocence of life of like, Mm-hmm. everything is beautiful everything is is just people are you know inherently they are good and and looking for that and, you know what you look for what you focus on your energy and attention goes there so this this idea that death is tragic and and it is it doesn't have to be an either or it's an mm-hmm. and it's like yes it's it's painful it's, it's sometimes unjust it's, uh, it's scary it's awful like there's so many ways that people mm-hmm. pass away and it's and it and it's heart wrenching, um, and it can be the thing that reinvests in your life now to be able to to just make more meaning from that person. How do you honor that person's spirit? How do you honor their life? Um, and that's what I'm doing with the Bali retreat. When I was talking about being really sad about my sister and my dad passing away, their anniversaries are actually in the same month. They both passed in July and I hired a life coach after my therapist and the life coach was like, great, what are you going to do with that? How do you want to honor their grief? Or how do you want to honor their spirit? How do you want to honor mm-hmm. your grief? And I was like, you know, I've always thought about a retreat and 
then I started to do the research to do a Bali retreat and I'm channeling all of that into, um, something that I'm so excited about now that's coming outside of myself. And, and so take, take death for, um, this, this rebirth for your own life and for the life around you. Mm -hmm. And then how would you, um, how can someone transform from their pain? By taking action, you, you, you have to marry the thought, um, with the action or sometimes you have to create the action to cause the motion to create the thought. Um, Mm -hmm. so for example, just even the, the Bali retreat, right. So I'm, he was like, what do you want to do with it? And I was like, well, I want to do a retreat in Bali. And he was like, okay, well, what's the first step you need to do? Just really broke it down. I was like, well, I'd have to search retreat Mm -hmm. centers. I'd have to search what it, how what it takes to even put on a retreat i'd have to search the legal like legalities of it um i'd have to search i'd have to search so many things and he's like great start with one and then keep building and i did and i just I searched retreat found it and i did the next thing and the next thing and so instead of looking to you know beginning with the end in mind um if you want an end result where can you begin today to work towards it and take action on that um, so if you want to get help, make the phone call today to either find a therapist or to um, s- do an online search for free resources in your community or support group or phone a friend, like anything, go for a walk. Um, there's tons of free apps now that do meditations, Alexa or Google Home, You can, if you have one, um, you can ask them to do a guided meditation. Um, so there's, there's, there has to be this, this marriage with action, this physical body, uh, movement, um, to create a different response. And uh, yeah, that, that transformation only births from motion. Mm-hmm. You have to get into motion. Nice. So as we're wrapping up, is there anything else you want to speak of about grief or mental health, depression, anxiety? Maybe the last thing uh, we were talking earlier, just that nothing is wrong with you. Um, Mm -hmm. You don't need fixing. You are enough. Um, Even if you, you know, so many people will uh, cycle through uh, depression. There's seasonal affective disorder and so when the seasons change you're very much affected by your environment and that's okay that's nothing's you know uh, we a lot of people have the message that um, something's wrong with them if they Mm -hmm. need help or if they're struggling or um they're feeling anxious and it's there's so many layers to that and and you nothing is wrong with you you know that if if you experience that that you're just experiencing the human experience and for whatever reasons in your life you're going through that um you're not alone there's there'll be somebody who wants to sit with you and work through that with you and and if you know and also that you're strong enough to go inward and do the work yourself um and to, mm-hmm. to really honor your feelings and that is okay too. I think sometimes um, the mask fearing that if you take the mask off and what others might think of you um, and 
you know, don't, don't be afraid of who you can become from your breakdown. Mm. Um, Cause that can be the very thing that's like your, 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 pur- everyone has a purpose. You were here. You, you, you might be stepping into your alignment because of that. So mm-hmm. yeah, not to, not to be a, not to be so hard on yourself. But mm-hmm. So a question I ask um, everyone, what would you tell someone who feels stuck with their life? Well, I would ask them, do they feel stuck? And how do they feel stuck? Where do they feel stuck? And, and then making a plan from there. Um, Cause I, I think you, you have the answers already within. It mm-hmm. just takes maybe the right uh, way of asking um, and, the, and the time to sit and reflect so that you can, you can decide what, what to do next with that stuckness. Because everyone experiences that differently. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. that would be the first thing I would ask. Where do you feel stuck? Why? What area in your life? Um, and let's see what comes through from that to then kind of make a decision on what maybe to do next from that place. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So where can people follow you and connect with you? Um, I'm on Instagram at Adit Chuchagi and my website has all kind of my, it has my YouTube channel sessions with Adit has my Instagram and it has my Bali retreat. Um, we have two spots left. Um, it's eight women. We're going in May very excited about that. And my website is live to align.com L I V E two, the number two A L I G N. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm so happy that we found each other <laughs> online. I think it was, um, Sahara Rose, I think, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was so lovely to, talk with you and, and yeah, yeah it resonates with anybody listening and I appreciate you putting the podcast and connecting with me it was lovely and you know love that you can just dive right into the deep end and thank you for sharing your story too I can imagine there's a lot your family is going through in this yeah. time all right so if you loved this episode as much as I did please Share it with someone, text it, DM it, email it, whatever to someone. That is how the word gets out. It's all word of mouth now, you know? That's how the life the life of technology works, I think. I don't really know if I believe in ads, but whatever. Yes, please share it with someone. If you could leave a five-star rating and a review on my on iTunes, I would truly, truly appreciate it. And I will see you next week. Thanks.